Okay. Well, we've got to the end of 1 Corinthians. Um, if you've been with us here at Salt over the last two terms, um, we've spent half a year uh, looking through this letter. And I, I think it's been very encouraging to see how a church that in so many ways has been a basket case, I mean, they've kind of got just about everything wrong that you can get wrong. The Apostle Paul keeps persevering with them. And he perseveres with them because God perseveres with them. And so I think that gives hope uh, to all churches, really. Uh, That gives hope to us uh, that God will continue what God starts. And so as we look at this now, I I want to be praying that that God will encourage us to keep going. Um, So how about we, we pray that God will do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that tonight as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16 that you'll give us stamina, that you'll give us energy, uh, that you'll give us a desire to persevere in living for you, in serving you. And for any of us who've not got to the point where we put our trust in Jesus, we pray that you'll give us good reasons to, to do that or to think about that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the sad realities of life is that you can spend a long time doing something uh, and you can put all of this time and effort into a particular project and then it can be very easily undone. Uh, One of the things that we've seen living in the city of Canberra as opposed to some of the older cities is that things aren't built to last a long time. So uh, the amount of houses that were built that have now been knocked down within couple of decades and then rebuilt uh, into something else. In fact, one time we saw that happen uh, in an 18-month period. Mm. A new house went up on a corner block and then something happened with the the zoning and they realised that they could build a bigger house uh, on that block and so they knocked down the first one and they built a bigger one. Uh, But can you imagine spending your life on something, uh, working hard at it, achieving something, feeling that you had something to show for it and then it all being destroyed, all undermined. And how many of the great architects and builders and engineers of the past thought that they had left something that was going to see the test of eternity, which is now rubble and forgotten. Now, I I raise that with us because I think the sad reality of our lives is that they can end up being a little like that. Uh, How many... PhDs that people spent five or more years slaving over are now hidden in some library and nobody even knows they exist. And those people, I'm sure, thought that they were devoting their energies, their their effort, maybe they were giving up things financially, uh, putting the whole family through that uh, difficult thing of having a PhD student in their midst only for it to be either ignored or somebody comes up with another finding that means that one is now irrelevant. Wouldn't it be a shame if that was a picture of our lives? And yet the Bible warns us that it can be. See, if we spend all of our life living for the things of this world only, then one day we're going to leave them behind. It doesn't matter how much we've accumulated. It doesn't matter how much we build up in our own our portfolios, it doesn't matter how many degrees we've accumulated, it doesn't matter how many children we have, grandchildren or anything else, one day we will leave them all behind. 
And uh, I, I've, I've uh, reflected on this a few times. You might have heard me say this. That one of the things I've committed to memory is what the Business Review Weekly's Top 100 magazine says every year about those who have passed away in the previous year. I've committed to memory exactly how much each one of those people has left behind. Everything. That's what you leave behind. <laughs> now, if, if that's all that life is, then life is just a tragic play where actors come on the stage, they do their bit, they go off the stage and then they're forgotten. Is that all we are, actors on a stage? Well, last week and the week before, we looked at one of the most fabulous chapters in the whole of the Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that how you live in this life matters because this life is not all there is. It's not all there is. It's not the case that we are just chemical reactions that one day stop reacting and so we're buried or we're burnt and that's it, forever, forgotten. No, we're actually people who will be raised and if we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we'll be raised to be with God for all eternity. And that's a wonderful change to the value of things in this life. And so we finished with verse 58 of chapter 15 where he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. How can he say that? How can he say it's not in vain, it's not meaningless? Because there's a resurrection. And what we do in the Lord, what we do for God in this life has implications for the next life. Now, I want to look at that with us in a minute. But the Apostle Paul jumps. It seems like he's changing topics, but I don't think he is changing topics. He's saying something else to the Corinthians that's important, but it really only makes sense in the light of the resurrection. Because if there is no resurrection, then you may as well hang on to everything you've got because it doesn't matter if you give it to somebody else. But he talks about giving. Uh, and have a look at what he says. And I just want to pick up on, uh, just for a few minutes, what he talks about here. So in chapter 16, he says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will need to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me also to go, then... Then they will accompany me. Now, this is a, a particular thing that he's talking about. Right? He's talking about uh, a collection that he was taking up for the churches in Jerusalem. Now, we understand that uh, the, the Christians in Jerusalem were suffering. There'd been a significant famine. And so one of the things that Paul's doing as he goes on his missionary journeys around uh, the Mediterranean is to take up a collection to help the brothers and sisters who are in Jerusalem. Um, it sounds to me a little bit like what could be going on without back New South Wales. People are gathering up money that they might be able to give it to those who are in need, particularly Christian brothers and sisters. But I want to think, what are some of the principles that he actually outlines as he talks about? And I think we pick up on two things that are worth just focusing on quickly. The first thing is that he's actually talking to them about making giving a priority. And you can see that, can't you? Because... He says, on the first day 
of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come I won't have to take up a collection. In other words, he's saying you make it a priority yourself. Um, And when he says to do it on the first day of the week, um, I think what he's saying in effect is make it out of what you get in the first instance rather than spend everything on yourself and see if you've got any left over. And so I I know that um, in our family, one of the things I was brought up with, because my mum and dad were Christians, was the idea of, okay, you're getting pocket money, or when I started to earn some money, I I did paper rounds, I did milk runs, uh, I worked in shops and did various things. The encouragement to me, as somebody who was looking to live for God, was, okay, now that you've been given your week's pay, set aside an amount that you might contribute, and where contribute? Well, uh, in our family, we, in, we were encouraged to contribute both to the, the work of Christian ministry and to the needs of those who are disadvantaged. And so that meant that we would give money to the church and we would give money to those who are in need. Sometimes the two would go together, not always. And so I just leave that with you to encourage you to think about your attitude towards money. Do you see the value of using what you have for the sake of the ministry of the gospel and for the sake of caring for those who are in need. Now, I don't think it matters what money we're talking about because it could be the little boy like myself when I was uh, nine years old who, and I can tell you this is the truth of it, I got five cents a week pocket money, but I could split that up, right? Because we had one cent and two cent coins back in those days. And so I could allocate a certain amount of money to, uh, to put in the collection plate. I could, I could allocate a certain amount of money to put aside. And uh, it, I remember the first present that I bought my mum. I'd saved up for weeks and weeks to have uh, enough money to buy her this little crystal uh, set. It was a, just a little cheese platter type thing with a bowl on it. It was made out of crystal and I had to save for weeks because it cost me 20 cents. All right. Um, yes, that's right. There's been inflation. Um, but the point is, do we think about our money? Now, in the light of the resurrection, you think, well, I'm not going to need it later, am I? And God's given it to me. So let's use it for the thing that's going to make the most eternal impact now. And uh, I, I think a big part of that is, well, how can we promote people uh, hearing about God? How can we promote people growing as as Christians? How can we make an impact in the lives of of those in our community? So when we talk about giving, and we don't do it much in this church, in fact, we don't pass a plate around, we encourage people, uh, the equivalent, I think, of setting aside a amount on the first day of the week is we encourage people to think, okay, what's my income and how can I use it? And one of the first things I'll think about is what might I contribute and to do that online? because most of our money things happen online. There are ways to do it with cash. There's a box at the door. Uh, But to think, how can I make this a priority? And if you'd like to talk about that in any more detail, I'm more than happy to to chat with you about different ways that we can do that. The second thing that we get from this, he talks about a letter of introduction to people who are approved, who will be sent with the gift, um, and maybe he'll accompany them. One of the things that we pick up from this, there's a certain accountability that's built into handling the money. Um, They approve someone that will go with it. 
And uh, I think uh, Christians and churches really need to take heed of being um, inscrutable when it comes to the handling of money. Uh, you, you, there, there are just too many disasters that have gone on. Uh, you get that kind of high-profile story of the, of the American evangelist who's just been embezzling money, basically, uh, or the tax evasion, the fraud... Friends of ours went to a church in Mossman in Sydney. This is an upper North Shore church. Uh, and the church treasurer, over a period of time, embezzled $1 million back when that was a lot of money. And you think this is an evangelical Anglican church in the elite suburbs of Sydney, and that was going on. And that's why it's, it's, it's led churches within our network to do very simple things uh, to preserve integrity. That is... If money gets paid out, two people need to authorise it. It used to be two to sign a cheque. Now most of it's digital. And so it's still two to authorise. And I've always had a policy when I've been a pastor that, that the paid staff of the church don't touch the money. And I can think of at least two occasions where I'm realising that I'm the last one at church and I'm packing up and there's the money box. And so what do I do? I ring up until I find someone willing to come and get it and take it so that... You can't say, well, the pastor hung around till the money was left and he took it off and who knows how much he kept for himself. So accountability, right? But bigger than a priority and accountability is what Paul talks about. And we won't go into this now. If we moved on to 2 Corinthians, you spent two chapters on it. Once you get the gospel, that God's grace gives you everything and everything you have comes from God... And this life is not all there is. He's got something far better for you. It actually liberates us to be generous with what he gives to us. And I think it actually drives that um, spirit of generosity and giving out of the the first, not the last. All right, well, he dropped that in there, so I'm preaching it. There it was, okay? Don't want you to think that I've got a hobby horse of money and probably haven't heard me speak on money for a long time. But let's let's, uh, look at this last bit. And I want to pick it up under this theme of the work of the Lord. And we'll go back again to that last verse of chapter 15. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. The work of the Lord. Now, that's a phrase that comes up a few times, both there and in chapter 16. And uh, I just want to pick up on... Uh, what is the significance of this work of the Lord that he talks about? Well, I think the first thing that we see um, is that it's in direct contrast to work that is in vain or is meaningless. And the thing that makes it not in vain or meaningful is that it endures into eternity. Now, that's the gist, I think. That's the difference between uh, things that death makes a mockery of And the whole book of Ecclesiastes talks about this. Death brings everything to nothing. But if death is not the end, and some things can be done in this life that will endure for eternity, uh, then, wow, that that is work worth doing, the work of the Lord. Um, And what will that look like? Well, let's let's explore some of that. So I'm going to jump around a little bit. First of all, come with me to uh, to chapter 16, verse 8. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, he says, because a great door for effective work has opened to me. 
and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. And I, I think when you, when you read the way that Paul talks about the work of the Lord, he's not just talking about any work. Right? He's not just saying, okay, you're a Christian now, so uh, um, when I talk about the work of the Lord, I'm talking about Christians who are teachers or Christians who are accountants or Christians who are mechanics or Christians uh, who are in childcare or whatever it might be. There's of a different character. He talks about himself and Timothy being involved in the work of the Lord. And I think it makes sense to see that it has a particular ministry focus in mind um, that is engaging in work that will make a difference for all eternity. That doesn't mean you've got to be a minister or a missionary or an apostle or a professional uh, to do this, but he's saying we're involved in this work that endures forever. Now, um, this is a work then that we need to understand. Um, It's hard work. Let's see the evidence of it being hard work. Verse 15, you know that the household of Stephanus were among the first converts in Achaia and they've devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to, pardon me, to submit to such people and everyone who joins in the work and labours at it, literally works hard at it. So what is encouraging the church to do uh, is to focus on those who are in that work of the Lord, that that ministry work of making a difference for all eternity and who are working hard at that work. And I I can testify to the fact that that it is hard work. I mean, there's the joke, isn't there? Like the the minister works one day a week. What a cushy job. Uh, In fact, it must be super cushy for me because people hear that I'm a minister and then they hear that I take Sunday off. So they assume I don't do any work, right? And then I explain that we meet on Saturdays. Oh, so you just work Saturday. Uh, you're welcome to come and follow along. Like there's, there's, it can be really hard work, and it's hard work often because it, it involves the, the hard realities of life. And uh, I, I remember one time at a funeral, uh, and it was a, it was a pretty tragic funeral, the, the funeral director came up to me and he said, mate, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're the pastor and I'm not because you couldn't pay me enough to do what you're doing. And, and I thought, wow, you, you've kind of got an insight into this. And it had been tragic. It was my first funeral. Um, the sister of a good friend, 17 years of age, um, puts a hose from her exhaust pipe into the car, takes her own life. And no one could make sense of it. She was an athletic young woman. She, she had the future ahead of her. She had a family that loved her. Nobody got it. And, and to try and speak into those things. Now, that's the hard work of, of the work of the Lord. Now, when I say that, it doesn't have to be a professional who's doing that, is it? It could be you sitting down with that family. But it's, a, but it's an eternally focused work that you're doing at that time. It could be you sitting down with someone trying to persuade them um, to turn from their sinfulness. See, no, you've, you've just got to repent of this. It's, it's, it's destructive. It's dangerous. It's, it's going to see other people's lives destroyed. It'll see your life destroyed. 
You're actually walking away from God as you live this way. I tell you, they're hard conversations to have. It, it, it could be that, that the agony of a loved one who just no matter how much you share with them and how much you try and live your life in front of them and pray for them and, and, and pray for opportunities to talk with them, they just don't get this Christian thing that you're into. And, and it breaks your heart. It's hard work. In fact, it, I think I get something after 30 or so years in ministry of what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 11. He lists this uh, catalogue of, of tough things that he goes through. It includes being pelted with rocks to the point of death, being shipwrecked, being thrown in prison, and all of these other things that are physical by and large. And then he says, and besides all this, I face my daily concern for all the churches. It's literally his anxiety for how these churches are. They, and you can imagine, we've just been through Corinth. They're a basket case. It seems that they don't learn either. And, and that's a tough thing to be involved in. And it's, again, not just the professional. I, I think that as we're involved in each other's lives, we bear a lot of burdens. We share a lot of grief. Uh, we, we have to have some tough conversations. Well, hard work. But one of the great things about this is it's together work. And I'm, I'm always saddened when I hear of the the minister who's kind of the hired gun in the church. When, when, when the view is, oh, we pay a guy to do the ministry and, and he works for us. Because that wasn't God's plan. God's plan, if, if you're going to pay a guy, is that he might actually mobilise us all so that we work together. That ought to be the, the energy. But there's a wonderful word here, which we don't pick up in the, in the English, but it's there in the original, in verse 16, to submit to such people and everyone who joins in the work, the, the word is literally together works. It's one compound word, if I remember rightly. They're together workers. They're, they're co-workers. They work together and they labour at it. They work hard at it. And, and one of the things about the last chapter of this letter, like the last chapter of so many of Paul's letters, is he gives you a window into the fact that he doesn't do it alone. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, good on Beth for, for reading through this because, you know, these are Greek names and Hebrew names and they're often hard to, to pronounce them. Uh, but he's not just name dropping at this point. He's actually telling you that we're in this together. So verse 15, you know, the household of Stephanus, they were the first converts in Archaea. They've devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. What a great thing. I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd be pretty proud of being uh, a descendant of, of the household of Stephanus, wouldn't you? You've got a reputation. You've got a better reputation than being a descendant of the first fleet. Sorry, Gary. Because you get to be in the Bible, all right? I've got a descendant, you know, this Stephanus bloke. He was my great, great times a thousand, you know, grandfather. No, Paul's actually public praise, you know, affirmation. Isn't this terrific, these guys? Because these guys are amongst the first people who converted in this place. Isn't it great to see them go on? And, and they've moved from being the people who heard the good news and responded to it to being the people who are actually reaching out and serving other people. And, and that timeline is what we want to see, isn't it? I mean, we want to see brand new baby Christians uh, becoming mature Christians. 
and reaching out to people and, and helping give birth to brand new baby Christians. And, and so it goes on and so it goes on. Uh, he, he talks about uh, urging the brothers to submit to people like this. In verse 17, he's glad when Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they supplied what was lacking from you. Um, they were able to help him out. He's, and other letters, you know, that somebody brings something to him when he's in prison and things like that that are helpful. And they refresh his spirit, see verse 18. And yours also, such men deserve recognition. And they got it. <laughs> They're in the Bible, right? They get, a, they get a long-lasting mention. And then he goes on to talk about others, you know, Aquila and Priscilla. They greet you warmly in the Lord. Greet one another, he says, with a holy kiss uh, and, and so forth. It's highly relational. The, the Christian faith is not to be a, a private, personal experience. When you're alone and when you're with God, it can be. But God doesn't want you to be always alone with him. He wants you to be with your brothers and sisters. Uh, He wants us not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. He wants us to spur each other on to love and good works. He wants us to make that a, a priority. And that's the joy of being brought into a family, a spiritual family, is that we can do that. Uh, and, and we see a glimpse there that it can be refreshing work, this work of the Lord at times. Uh, he says, they refreshed my spirit and yours also because they arrived and they brought something that was lacking. I don't know what it was. Um, in another place, it says that someone brought the parchment so he could read them uh, or brought his cloak because presumably it was a bit cold in prison. Um, they're practical things that people can do for each other. In fact, it was a joy for us uh, I, when, when we moved up here, I think um, a mate and I drove a truck up from Canberra in February last year and we pulled up at our place and there's Marty and Greg and I, I think you were there, Gary, and I think Rod Huff might have been there. I didn't know who any of these people were. I literally didn't know you. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd never seen Gary before, I'd never seen Rod before. I'd, I'd actually seen Greg because I visited this church in the August Previously, and you were preaching, and it was the first anniversary, and Marty and Ness both shared a few things. But I thought, wow, you know, there's, there's brothers in Christ that I've not met before who are doing the heavy lifting. And you did a better job at this end than my son did at the other end <laughs> uh, when, he, when he dropped the case of wine <laughs> and, and the blood flowed out. <laughs> um, refreshing work. It, it's, it's, a, it's a real joy. In fact, let, let me read you something that I found. I found it tonight because I had some old notes that I'd written down uh, on 1 Corinthians 16 that I'd stuck in my Bible and I'd forgotten all about them. But this was a message that I got um, at a previous church. Now, it's back in 2003, so this is 16 years ago. And the church that I was a pastor at met three times a day. And at this stage, I was... I was speaking the message three times a day at different locations. And I'll just read you this message. It says, um, must have been sent to me after the, on the Monday. G'day, Dave. I found yesterday morning's sermon tremendously challenging. I think, though, that in your close, you forgot to mention one cameo. I, I must have been talking about different people and how they were encouraging in ministry. You forgot one cameo. That of the minister who works tirelessly to serve 
and to encourage and build up three congregations simultaneously, often at the expense of his own health and relationships. God bless you, mate, for your hard work with Crossroads and its associated ministries. All the best. And his name. Now, I kept that, you know. It's, in fact, I just cut it out and stuck it on my notes of 1 Corinthians 16. And I can tell you again and again, it's just, you know, a, a joy to get little notes of encouragement. The email, the, the uh, you know, the, the person dropping in uh, for a coffee, uh, the phone call, the, the visit, whatever. And I know that I love that when I get it. So I'm assuming you love that when you get it. And if you don't get it, then let's give it because the more we give it, the more we'll get it. And indeed, I remember at this church, we met this older couple who'd come along. They were pretty old. I think they were about 50. And I was about 30 when we started, right? So anybody, I'm well over 50 now, but they seemed old back then. They, they were just gems. Like they arrived at the church and on day one, they're inviting people around. And uh, they just always did it. And I remember talking to them uh, about this and they said, well, the last church we went to, uh, and it wasn't they'd moved churches because they're unhappy in the same city. They'd actually come from Newcastle, moved to Canberra. The last church we went to, we just found it really unwelcoming and it took us ages to fit in. And we said, so we realised that the, the thing that we could control wasn't what other people chose to do, it was what we chose to do. And so we determined when we moved churches that we would be the people who take the initiative to get to know others. And boy, they set an example. And, and it was contagious. It really was. Uh, I'm sure that their efforts rubbed off on the way other people started to behave in the church. And um, so let me encourage us to remember that we're in this together. It's a together thing. Um, uh, it's a refreshing thing. It's, it's serious work. Uh, let me just point this one out because it is serious. All right? It's not just all about, look, we can hang out with each other. We can commend or encourage each other. We can have tough conversations with each other if we're into that sort of thing. Right? Um, come to verse 13. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Now, this is a harden up verse, isn't it? This is, this, it's going to be tough. Um, you're going to need courage. You're going to have to stand firm. You're going to get tossed around. So be strong. Uh, and I think when the encouragement there is to be on your guard and to stand firm and to be courageous and to be strong, we just realise how much we need each other. Um, Because it's very hard to be courageous and strong on your own. And it's very sad as a Christian to have to be courageous and strong on your own when you don't have to be. Uh, If you're finding it hard being a Christian in your workplace please share it with a brother or sister because then they can pray for you and they can share something of your burden for how tough it is in your workplace. Nato was sharing yesterday that um, he loves working in his workplace and part of the reason he loves it is that he's, he's able to be open about being Christian but he cops a ribbing for it. You know, like they... 
they, they give him a hard time for it. Um, and we're all wired up differently. Some people, that might be crippling. Some people, it might just charge their batteries. But let's share enough with each other. I'm pleased to hear that because I could be praying for NATO in his workplace now. So can you. You've just heard about it, right? You can ask him more later. And if we recognise that this is a together thing, it's a serious thing, we can, we can help to push each other on because I would suspect, and I've not got any data on this, that, that people who seem to be starting well as a Christian who drift off and seem to lose their faith, I wonder whether they lack support, whether they'd isolated themselves from others. Now, they can choose to isolate themselves. Some people are very good at that and hiding away, sometimes because they've got stuff that they're, they're, they're ashamed to bring out into the open. You do not need... Well, there, there might be things that we've done that are shameful, but we have a gospel of God's forgiveness. And shame can be a very dangerous place to stay because we can hide there and not receive the benefits of the gospel, not receive the encouragement from brothers and sisters. So let's spur each other on. Serious work, and it's, it's not just serious work, it's loving work. So look at verse 14. Having said, be courageous, be strong, he says, do everything in love. So it's not just take a concrete pill. It's take a concrete pill, darling, okay? No, no this, is, this is what will drive relationship with each other, uh, that we actually care, that, that we have been treated so amazingly, graciously, generously from God that we, we, we're just equipped to give a little of that to each other, to, to actually be loving, to do everything in love. And it's terrific the way he finishes. It says, All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. If anyone doesn't love Christ, let that person be accursed. Come, Lord. So you, you, like, this love is not just an optional thing. Christ has loved us. Let us love Christ in return. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is tough love. Uh, this is serious, hardcore, but deeply, sacrificially, generously committed to other people. That's this kind of love. And it's spectacular when we see it. And we do see it. And we can thank God for that. So how will it end? We've just spent two terms. I don't think I've ever spent as long, actually, in a row. I've been following points, so I blame them. Just looking at one section. But it's been good, I think. There's so much variety here. So much to learn. Such great gospel focus. How does it end for the Corinthians? Well, I flagged, didn't I? Not well. At least we don't know everything, but we do know that Paul had to write another letter. So that's a bit of a warning. Um, And I'd love to open 2 Corinthians with you, but not straight away. I'll talk in a minute what we will do next term or next week. (laughs) Wow. Um, But let me take you to the end of the next letter because there's some worrying things here. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it's the second last chapter. Just hear these words from down at verse 20. He says, For I am afraid that when I come, 
I may not find you as I want you to be, and you might not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged. That's so sad, isn't it, really? I mean, these these guys get more of the word of God than any other church in history. They get the... These two long letters devoted to them. This is, this is the apostles speaking from God with the authority of God to this church and pleading with them, encouraging them, calling upon them to change, setting an example before them, helping them to think through cross-cultural ministry, intergenerational ministry. Um, I was going to say intersex ministry, but that means something different today. That just yeah, but Between men and women and... and and slaves and masters and, and adults and kids and, and Jews and Gentiles and, and engaging with a society that has worshipped other gods and, and has temple prostitution and, and sacrifices the meat and so on and all of, to, to these so-called gods. It's, it's a tough place. And Paul's been devoted to them. He's visited them. He's, he talks about, on my third visit to you in the next sentence in chapter 13 verse 1 and it's highly likely that these aren't the only letters that Paul wrote trying to piece it all together when he talks about other letters I think it's uh, it's it's pretty evident there are at least three maybe more so all this effort how does it finish well we don't ultimately know you know they, they might have not got it after the first but repented and everything was terrific after the second we don't know but you know what it's academic to us What's more important is how's it going to end for us. That's, that, that's not academic. That's kind of real. Us as a church, us as Christians, us as inquirers, us as explorers, us as people who are grappling with what it means to follow Jesus in the 21st century, what it means to be in a changing world, in a, in a complex society. Uh, we're, we're struggling with working out... What difference these things will make to us? So how will it end for us? And, and I, I think it's worth just remembering that verse, that tough verse, that, where he talks about stand firm, be courageous, be strong, persevere, hang in there, because being a Christian isn't something that stops and starts in an instant. It is for some people, those who become Christians on their deathbed. Uh, but for me, it's already been... About 50 years. Uh, for, for some of you, it might have been longer. For Richie, it might have been 100 years. <laughs> Just checking you're still awake, brother. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a long haul, therefore. And we need each other, and we need the Word of God, and we need the Spirit's help. And so we need to be prayerful. Um, but it matters. And I, I think if we've got to the point, and I suspect this will happen for us at different times through our lives, if we've got to the point where we kind of feel ourselves in autopilot going through the motions, um, then we need each other desperately this time.
You know, a little bit of the, you know, wake up. Wake up. This is real. So why don't we pray uh, as we finish. Thank God for this. I'll pray for us. Uh, Then I want to share a couple of things and we'll finish by singing. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for working through the Apostle Paul to bring the gospel and all of these extraordinary implications of the gospel to this church in Corinth. And thank you that we're just one of thousands, if not millions, of churches that have been able to learn from this. Um, Please, may we not harden our hearts. May may we not isolate ourselves from you or from one another. Help us to hear your word and respond, uh, to turn where we need to, to trust you where we need to. And we ask this in his name, Jesus. Amen.